Welcome to the Invest It Best podcast, a show about investing and financial markets, where you'll hear from some of Australia's top investment analysts and fund managers about their views on the market. The Invest It Best podcast is brought to you by Wilson, one of Australia's leading financial advisory firms with a proud and successful history spanning over 125 years. All information discussed in this podcast is for general information purposes only and does not constitute investment advice. You should seek investment advice tailored to your circumstances before making any investment decision. Further disclosures follow at the conclusion of the episode. This is the Invest It Best podcast. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Invest It Best podcast. My name is Ted Richards and on this episode we have a friend of the show and returning guest, Wilson's equity analyst who specializes in the tech sector, Ross Barrows. Ross, welcome back to the show. Thanks Ted, great to be here. Now Ross, we last spoke about two years ago in that discussion covered why businesses that operate in the cloud can be attractive investments. And we also touched on some Australian companies like Canva that made the Bessemer Cloud 100 list for that year. Now, what we're gonna talk about today is a slightly different topic for this episode, and that's AI. So Ross, let's jump straight into it. Can you share with us uh, the latest insights from your recent US trip about AI-related opportunities? Yeah, absolutely. Look, there was just a lot of inbound interest, I think, you know, domestically and globally just around AI, you know, probably in the March quarter and shortly thereafter. And we were discussing it internally with our team. And the best way to really get up the curve on that content is to go where it's happening. So, yeah, I spent a week in the US and time really was of the essence, in my view, to be able to provide timely insights, I guess, on how things were moving. So during that time, we met with Appen. We attended Equinex's biannual Investor Day. We spoke with uh, people from NVIDIA, Atlassian and a few others and also caught up with some faculty from UCLA to try and get a a balance also between the theoretical and academic views and also there are plenty of academics uh, or or people at UCLA that work in industry, so they're not just purely academics. Anything more you can elaborate on on the academics at UCLA and and what they're saying? It's just the network ultimately because, you know, they provide courses and help people get you know, formal education around it, but those courses are peppered with people that work in industry and come in and present the real world. And that was the angle that we were pursuing. Okay. Now, Ross, you've touched on a few things there that we're going to get to in more detail. Appen, Equinex, and a few others. But before we zoom in on these areas, I just want to touch on, we will speak about some terminology from time to time. We are chatting about AI. And for those that that might recall, we're starting to hear about LLMs. So Ross, what does that stand for and why are LLMs relevant in regards to AI? Yeah, for sure. So in the report that we published once we, uh, we came back from the trip, we went into this a little bit and in the report we actually used that AI technology as part of the report. So LLM stands for a large language model. And I actually asked ChatGPT what a large language model is, so I might as well share that with you. Did you write any of the report? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I signed it at the back. That was about it. No, in terms of, it says a large language model refers to a type of artificial intelligence model designed to generate human-like text and understand natural language. These models are trained on massive amounts of text data and employ deep learning techniques, specifically neural networks with many layers. Large language models such as OpenAI's GPT-3 and GPT stands for Generative 
pre-trained transformer are known for their impressive capabilities in tasks like text generation, translation, summarization, question answering, and more. So that's the end of the quote. Yep. So I thought, who better to ask than itself as to almost what it is? So these models are basically, they're large language models trained on a large corpus or a large body of data. And there are a variety of models out there. And ChatGPT is probably the most well-known. That's OpenAI is the company behind ChatGPT. There are others out there. Google has Bard, Metal has Llama, Anthropic has a, a, a model called Claude. So there are lots of them, but obviously the ones that bubble to the top are the most, the most marketed, the most funded. I mean, at the end of the day, ultimately where we see these large language models going is that they are able to analyze large amounts of data. So what we think happens is these models will then be applied to the enterprise. So ultimately what we think will happen and we should see happening enterprises wanting to use AI on their own proprietary data. And so they'll take the capabilities and the expertise of that model and then start applying it to the database that makes a lot more sense and a lot more relevance for that company. Now, while there's some terms like LLMs and even ChatGPT that are relatively new to most, the reality is AI is the mega trend that has been spoken about for years now. So you're a tech expert that has been focusing on this area. Ross, before we move on, why is this especially relevant right now? Yeah, and I think what's happened, and speaking with the, the industry experts in the US when I was there, is that the reason it's kind of come to the fore in recent times, and recent times being the last couple of years, but more specifically in the last year or so, is because two key things. One is that there's just incrementally more and more data being produced every year, and it's probably a non-linear growth year on year. So, you know, two, three, four years difference can make a large amount of difference to the da- amounts of data available. And the second point is, in that same time frame, the compute power of the chips that have been invented and worked on has gone up considerably. So if you've got a larger quantity of data and you've got higher compute power, has really brought this to life. And I guess the fact that it's come to market, this has been developed for years and years and years, but developing AI is one thing, deploying it to the market is a different thing. And what's happened you know, since October, November last year, it's been deployed to the market, which has brought up that public resonance. Okay. And as they're launching these new services, if this is creating a, a relatively kind of a, a gold rush moment, in a gold rush moment, the smart businesses you know, tended to not worry so much about the gold, but maybe did more of a horizontal play and, and sold the picks. So if this metaphor that I've just used, Ross, if it holds up, who is selling the picks right now? Yeah, for sure. So in a domestic sense, look, I think the analogy holds up, right? You do want to be trying to play you know, the field as opposed to a, a specific to trying to back the winner. So look, selling the picks and shovels is about playing the field, as I said, and that gives you more of a broader opportunity set. So in the domestic market, NextDC, Macquarie Tech Group and Appen are three examples of companies that are playing the field. In terms of if we group them, you know, the NextDC and Macquarie Technology Group are the, the digital infrastructure or the data center builders, owners and operators. And as you can imagine, any of the compute power that needs to happen needs to happen somewhere. And if there's incremental demand uh, for that compute power, then obviously they need incremental space. So the digital infrastructure players are two that we've highlighted in our report. The other one that we spent time with was Appen. And as you know, Appen helps any and all model builders improve, manage and certify their generative AI models. And that's another way to, to do it. So instead of trying to back the right model or to generate or create the right model, they're helping a variety of different model builders improve their models. 
And that could be a large language model builder, or it could be the enterprise that is applying that large language model to their own data. Can you give an example of what that actually might look like in terms of app and executing on that? Sure. So maybe stepping through that a bit simpler. So if there's a technology company or a startup that wanted to create a large language model and generally it requires a lot of capital, a lot of time and a lot of R&D, but let's assume that's the case, then they wouldn't like like to you know refine the model. Yep. And that would include just improving the model's quality over time and iteration. And the other part of it is assurance. And that is where Appen would then provide a certification, for example, that the model has been looked at by an industry professional such as Appen. And so that certification is meaningful to the large language model builders. That can then get applied, by the way, if an enterprise took that large language model and applied it to their own data, Appen could help the enterprise as well. Okay. I've got ahead of myself because I'm, I'm keen to, to zoom in on, on NextDC first. You actually provided, for those not familiar with NextDC, some insight on what they do and that they're a builder, owner, operator of data centers. Are they just Australian-based or globally? Yeah, historically they have been. More recently they've announced intentions and assets that will be built offshore in New Zealand and also in Malaysia are the two most recent announcements. Okay. So why a NextDC position to capture the growth in, in AI? Yeah, well, I might start with just the context of why we're positive on the stock before AI, and then we get incrementally excited about it, right? So, you know, our positive view today is based on what we already know, and that's primarily due to the migration to the cloud and also digital transformation that you're seeing within the Australian market and globally, to be honest. You know, that's primarily what's driven one of the announcements more recently, which was very supportive for the business, which was in S3. And S3 is their third asset they built in Sydney that has a capacity of around 80 megawatts. And there was a large contract win that was going to take up quite a bit of capacity in that asset. So that's what we expected to, to drive the business in the short term. That's what happened in the first half in terms of New South Wales, where S3 is. And that's what we expect to drive the business in the second half, where we expect some positive news about Victoria as well. So they have assets, they have available for sale capacity, and that's what positions them quite well. But what I really like to highlight is that the AI opportunity is additive and incremental on top of all the things that we did like. So that's why I'm just trying to compartmentalize what we like about it today up until the start of this year and what we like about it even more now that there's another leg for growth for this business or these businesses. You mentioned S3 there, the, the fact that it's NextDC's third Sydney data center and these data centers, correct me if I'm wrong, are, are huge. Real estate in Sydney's expensive. Mm. Now, Ross, just for my benefit, why can't a competitor to NextDC, say, open up some huge data center in the remote outback where mm. land is dirt cheap? Yeah, sure. A couple of things. I mean, sure, you could get land out there, but uh, the more remote the land, the less access, generally speaking, of access to power. So they're incredibly power-intensive assets. So you certainly need to take that into consideration. The other consideration also is latency. Latency is another word for how fast is the, the message or the signal going from one place to another. So if you do locate it you know, quite a distance away from where the users are or where you know, the people need that information or the compute power, it's going to be slow. So you want it to, be, to have lots of sufficient land. You want the land to be in the right place. You need power to go into it to be able to you know, provide the power to do what you need to do. And then you need the content or the comp- compute that comes out of that to get where it needs to go in a timely manner. It made me think, is this something that has a moat in that you can't offshore it and that there could be some sovereign risk if 
we were if people were to consider a data center somewhere else around the world is that something that comes into the the equation as well that's a fair question and some people ask me look ross why doesn't one of these companies go to where the large language models are and do that well the reason is for data sovereignty 100 percent. so a big australian bank for example wouldn't want to be sending their data offshore in fact they're not allowed to probably so the data has to stay where it is in its ge- geographic jurisdiction and then the technology will come to those companies or or those locations and compute somewhat locally so the model will come to the data the data doesn't go to the model yep now we've spoken about the opportunity and a lot of the tailwinds uh, so far but ross what are the risks can data centers keep up with the developments in ai yeah well we all know it's moving at a pretty frenetic pace at the moment you're seeing some non-linear growth in the data center industry even before this so if you think of uh, the order of magnitude of growth you know next year's assets have improved by or not improved they've grown by a factor of two and a half if you think about their first asset Original capacity was 12 megawatts. You times that by two and a half, you get to 30. That was the size of their second asset. You times that by two and a half times, you get 75. The most recent asset S3 is eight. So this is non-linear growth. This is orders of magnitude growth in three to five year windows. That's before AI came along. So one of the risks is actually being able to deliver the compute capacity in a timely manner for what the world's needing it in. The other part of it is the density of the compute that relates to AI is really uh, concentrated. So you do have to have data center construction, the actual building construction considerations as well. So they need to think ahead a little bit about that. They might be able to adapt some of what they have now, but you probably don't want to fully invest potentially an entire asset in AI if the technology is changing that quickly as well. And right now, NextDC seem to be focusing on, on, on taking market share and and growth by not only reinvesting earnings, but also they've done a few capital raises. So Ross, when do you think they might prioritize earnings and dividends for shareholders? Prioritizing growth, and that's why they're investing. And by virtue of that over time, you know, earnings and, and dividends will follow. But maybe an analogy just for some context. So Equinix, you know, the global leader in data centers was founded in 19, it had its IPO in August of 2000. It's now a 72 billion US dollar market cap company, 250 data centers globally in, in 71 metro areas. You know, that business itself didn't pay a dividend for the first 14 years of its listed life as it reinvested heavily into the growth opportunity that it saw ahead, not too dissimilar to what an XTC is potentially seeing now. That said, you know, they've been listed for, I think, 23 years now, and they're coming up for their 10th anniversary of paying dividends. But I would just highlight the dividend yields only between 1% and 2%. It's not a huge dividend-paying stock, even though it does do that. So it has very much a capital appreciation focus, not so much a yield focus. So I thought that analogy was probably worth highlighting, and I'm certainly not recommending that or suggesting that just because next DC is turning 14 next year that they're going to start paying dividends. But that was just an insight I thought was worth sharing. Yeah, no, that is a, that is a good analogy. And I, I should put a timestamp on this. It's, <laughs> it's currently Tuesday afternoon, 8th of August, 2023. So if, you, if you're listening to this in 12 months' time, the 14-year uh, anniversary, uh, who knows? Now, Ross, Next DC is a business well-positioned for the future, as we've been discussing. But there are many other businesses that are well-positioned for the future. Let's go through some high-profile ones. Tesla, Microsoft, Apple. And what's common here is these being well positioned for the future often means it comes with a high valuation. So maybe if you could just provide listeners with some insights, what are we looking at in terms of valuations? 
Yeah, and look, you know, today's price in the market is really meant to capture a bunch of things, really, including the, the future potential growth of, of any business. So, you know, if we look one year forward, you know, next EC is trading on a EV to EBITDA of around 30 times. Equinex, its global competitor, is around 20 times. So that's about a 50% premium to a global peer. But if you do look at the three-year revenue CAGR for that business, Next DC has got an average three-year growth rate for its top line of around 20%, whereas Equinex is 10%. So you are paying 50% more in the multiple, but the top line is about 100%, or it's, it's double. So it seems like a somewhat reasonable or an opportunity to invest if that was something that suited someone's risk profile. Okay. Let's stay in the same industry, but shift across to a competitor, and that's Macquarie Telecom. You cover Macquarie Technology Group as well. So how are they positioned compared to NextDC? Yeah, also really well. You know, all the positives that we've noted for NextDC are, you know, really equally as relevant for Macquarie Technology Group. You know, Macquarie has relationships with uh, many of the, the big global cloud service providers. They recently raised $160 million to, to bolster its balance sheet. The development approval for the material expansion of its current Macquarie Park data center, which is called IC3 Super West, is somewhat imminent. And they have plans, uh, and they appear to have plans to develop its data center footprint outside of that main facility they've got in Macquarie Park. We did say in our note that Next DC is kind of our preferred way to play it at this point, but that really just refers to having inventory to sell today. If you look out 12 months to the medium and long term, look, look, they were both incredibly well positioned, and especially being in New South Wales, which is probably the nerve centre for data centres in Australia, and also within that Macquarie Park area, they're highly valuable assets. And just on valuation, it's probably worth mentioning that you know, Macquarie is trading on an EV to EBITDA half of that of next DC. It's about 15 times as opposed to that 30 times. But that's really just an observation. They have other businesses in there. Whereas next DC is a data center pure play. What you get with Macquarie Technology Group, you also get a telco business, a cloud business, a government business. They're not just a pure play data center. So their top line growth is a little bit more modest, but more diversified at the same time. All right, Ross, fascinating to hear about both NextDC and Macquarie Telecom and the opportunity that AI is providing in data centers. Now, let's step away from data centers, NextDC and and Macquarie Telecom. Ross Appen was another company that you went and saw over in the US. You provided a bit of insight on what they do at the start of the episode. Maybe if you could just touch on a bit more about their history, their strategy and, and what you saw over in the US. Yeah, for sure. Look, it's a fascinating business. And as you may know, it grew from its IPO price of around 50 cents to north of $40 over a number of years and has certainly fallen back to, to below the four and even below the $3 mark at the moment. And look, I think that's that amazing growth in the past. You know, what we try and do is look forward and just acknowledge that what took happen from $4 to $40 and back to four is the same thing that could take it back to more than four again. That's the nature of the stock. So while it is volatile on the way up, it was volatile on the way down, but we have to acknowledge that it has the potential to be volatile on the way up again. And that was part of the work that we wanted to do and that we still continue to do today. So look, Appen's core business provides data collection, data annotation, and relevance work for many of the world's biggest technology companies. And while they're great clients, 
they are a, a concentrated customer set. There are not a lot of them that they do work for. So because it is project-based work with relatively low visibility, it can expand and contract quite quickly. So they are leveraged the AI thematic. And in terms of how they're placed right now, they have you know, renewed and reinvigorated their business, right? So you may know that since January, there's been a new CEO, CFO, Chief Technology Officer, Chief Revenue Officer, and Chief Marketing Officer all joining the firm since then. And I was fortunate enough to meet with the vast majority of them in their new Toronto office when I was there. And look, they're very impressive individuals, well-connected, well-networked. And the new CEO, Armagan Ahmed, is you know, acutely aware of the need to focus on its core business and to improve that, which is what the, the primary driver is today. I mean, that's the backbone of its financials and that needs to perform well to be able to then fund and allow them to pursue this generative AI opportunity that we've been speaking about more recently today. Just stepping back from Appen for a sec, if they're based in North America, yeah. why are they listed on the ASX and not, say, you know, over in the US? You're sure it's a function of history. So Appen was founded in Australia by Julie von Willer, who's and her husband have been instrumental in growing the business. So it started in Chatswood in New South Wales, primarily around linguistics and, and translation. And, and that's where it grew. So the domestic business here grew into a global business. And then in the late 2000s, there's, or even early 2010s, I can't recall exactly, there was an acquisition that then launched it into the US in a deeper manner and then having a US presence. So it was very much an Australian business for a very long time. But in the last decade or just over a decade, it's really taken on a global, or being able to be a global business focused on the US. Thanks for providing me with that, that context. Now, let's, let's go back to where they are right now. So, Ross, do you think they have what it takes to be successful? And I won't quote you on this, but go back up from the 3 or $4 where they are right now to where they've been in the past, I'll, I'll say. Yeah, no question. And that's, that's the question the market's interested in, right? So... You know, in our opinion, you know, the result in August is going to be very insightful and very meaningful. So they've restocked the business with a new leadership team. They're highly cognizant and highly aware that the core business needs to stabilize and then grow from there. I think they're more aware of how they need to go about business and increasing their brand presence in the market and to work with, with more businesses and more customers and try and reduce that customer concentration, even if it moves away from you know, one to two to four to five, that can still be meaningful. So I think that's going to be interesting in terms of when we get to August, so how that revenue was recovered, what the cost out benefits look like from the program they've implemented and, you know, how that customer concentration has been addressed. And then if that business is going well, then that certainly facilitates them to be able to then pursue the generative artificial intelligence or general generative AI opportunity. And a couple of metrics there we'll look for. So they have spoken about their pipeline, the number of projects they've got in their pipeline. So we'll be looking about at the conversion of that pipeline and then not just conversion, not all projects are equal. So, you know, have there been any material transactions or, or counterparties that have been working with Appen during that time? And then obviously the outlook about trajectory. So it sounds like this, this shareholder updates a, a key date. It's current, uh, Ross' question without notice. When is this their next update? That would be, I believe, in the last week of, of August, about the 29th, Monday the 29th. So listeners need to be aware of that key date, which is coming up at the time of recording. So Ross, we've covered a lot of ground today, and yet I feel like we've really only just scratched the surface on a lot of these topics. 
you've shared some great insights and hopefully our listeners have learned a lot. Any, any final thoughts? You have a couple. Yeah. Firstly, look, thanks for the opportunity to speak today. It's a, it's a fascinating topic that I'm still learning about myself, even though I've spent quite a bit of time on it and it's changing very rapidly. So for others to not, not have a feel for what's going on too lucidly is completely understandable because it's very hard to, to keep up. But probably a couple of comments I'd make at the end. One, look, artificial intelligence is good at doing tasks, not jobs. And it's probably likely to be that way for some time. So look, I'm not a huge believer that AI is just around the corner from replacing entire jobs for people. That said, point number two, someone won't lose their job to AI, but over time they may lose their job to someone using AI. And I guess what I'm getting at there is, it's just an observation that if you've got a team of 10 or something and two or three people are using AI and they're more efficient, and they can do something three times as fast as, as others in the team. So, you know, maybe that team of 10 becomes a team of eight over time. And it's not that AI has actually replaced that job because they, the AI was replacing tasks. But if you can accelerate a task and make it more efficient, then you can do more. So maybe a, a team doesn't need to be as large as it is. So it could be reduced in aggregate at the margin. So that's probably uh, one way to think of it. It's kind of picking up on that idea of AI being a co-pilot it's not going to be the pilot. It's not doing everything, but it can be a co-pilot and help you do things quicker. And if there are efficiencies that come out of that, then that might be the, the, the byproduct, I guess, is what I'm alluding to. So look, the speed at which AI is advancing is, is hard to comprehend. But look, if nothing else, I think the coming couple of years or geez, a couple of months, the rate we're going could be uh, absolutely fascinating. So watch this space. All right, Ross. Well, thanks very much. It's been a fascinating episode. And if you enjoyed this, be sure to check out the back catalogue with previous guests. And if you have any questions on anything discussed, please speak with your Wilson's advisor or use the contact form on the Wilson's website to request a Wilson's advisor to give you a call. Ross, thanks very much for joining us for this episode. Thanks again, see you next time. All right, thank you for listening to the Invest at Best podcast. This podcast has been prepared by Wilson's. Wilson's has not independently verified any of the information given in this podcast. All effort is made to ensure information was accurate at the time of recording. No reliance should be placed on this podcast in making any investment decision and past performance is no indication of future performance. The directors of Wilson's advise that they and persons associated with them and Wilson's may have an interest in financial products referred to in this podcast.